Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, Danielle Bezalow. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, join my crew on Patreon to win amazing prizes like our adorable merch, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, private sessions with yours truly, and incredible sex toys. Go to patreon.com slash sexedwithdb to join my crew. Get discounts at all of my favorite brands at sexedwithdb.com. And follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. If you want to partner with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. We talk a lot about sex education, but when I'm shopping for products to support my sexual wellness, exploration, and expression, I head to the experts at Lion's Den. Lion's Den is an adult retailer with over 50 locations nationwide and hundreds of your favorite brands. They have everything you need to explore and express your sexual side. Right now, you can use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase in-store and online at lionsden.com. Follow them on social media, at lionsdenadult on Instagram and TikTok for exclusive offers, deals, and giveaways. When you think about the words pleasure and power, what comes to mind? If you're a fan, you know my answer will always be the magic wand. As the world's first ever and best-selling massage wand, the magic wand's familiar shape and legendary power have made magic wand a cultural icon. Revered by millions, it transcends planes of culture and gender. Its impact is so great that Time Magazine included it on its list of the most influential gadgets of all time. Want to get in on the fun? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magicwand to learn more and see how you could win your very own magic wand. A premium razor and a clitoral vibrator in one discreet product? What? Why hasn't that been thought of before? Well, Freya did. So you've had a long day and all you want to do is take a flight to Pleasure Town, but ugh, you have to shave before a busy day tomorrow. The game plan? Get an amazing shave with Freya's premium razor filled with aloe and vitamin E shave soap. You can subscribe to Replaceable Blades for just $9.99 for a four-pack. And then, okay, ready for this? Remove the razor head, hang it on the wall holder, click the power button, and use the handle as a clitoral vibrator. Freya just put the genius in G-Spot. Use code SEXEDWITHDB to get 20% off your Freya now. And for a limited time, you can enter to buy one Freya and get one for your bestie for free. Enter to win at highfreya.com slash sexedwithdb now. So, you're ready to experiment with anal play, but you're not sure where to start. If I were you, I'd start with education and products by a company founded by a doctor who's an expert on anal sex. I'm talking about Future Method. Future Method develops science-backed products and doctor-led education to maximize pleasure, eliminate injury, and empower the way people choose to play in the bedroom. They even have a blog that puts education at the forefront on topics both popular and taboo. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at futuremethod.com. Let's talk about a lube I absolutely love, UberLube. UberLube makes sex better for everyone by reducing friction and increasing pleasure. Whether you're using it for solo sex, sex with a partner, or both, UberLube has a long-lasting performance that lets skin feel skin. It has simple body and condom-friendly ingredients, is scent and color-free, dissipates when no longer needed so there's no sticky residue, and is recommended by leading doctors. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Good evening, mother. <laughs> mother of dragons. 
Are you, <laughs> Hi, are mom. You, are you in horror Game of Thrones? Something? No, it's Game <laughs> of Thrones, obviously, yes, mom. Okay. God, get with the program. You like Game of Thrones. You know that reference. I do, but you don't like the sequel. You don't like the one that's on. I, I didn't love it. I stopped like halfway through. Ooh, you didn't watch to the end? Hmm. That's for another podcast, mom. Okay. Today we're talking about sex ed, not Game of Thrones. <laughs> there Although, was a you, lot. Wait a second. A lot there was of a sex, lot of sex lot of and incest, a lot of childbirth. A lot of and childbirth. Dead people. A lot yeah. of scary stuff. Mm-hmm. That's really fair. We could do an offshoot. Actually, I do want to say one thing about that. <laughs> okay. It, the one thing I did like about it is that it really showed how difficult childbirth is and not for the fact that they're in some weird world but in general it is really difficult and That's people fair. die yeah. and people you know don't recover and babies die and just to see it from that primitive kind of point of view it made people feel like wow that's really hard work you know? I mean, yeah, that's totally fair. And spoiler alert, I mean, if you haven't seen the new House of Dragons or whatever it's called, she fucking dies in childbirth and it's really intense. And there are a lot of things that happen around that. And that is interesting. I mean, is it because like, obviously like C-sections weren't a thing back then? So like you just die if that a complication like that happens? That's part of it. But don't forget, especially in the United States, maternal mortality is still a thing. A big Correct. thing. Correct. A so, large, a large thing. Yeah. So people die because they have hypertensive disorders, because they hemorrhage, be all kinds of things. Some preventable, some not, some unexpected, some probably should have been expected, but it happens. And you know, yes, some people could be saved, or the babies could be saved because a C-section is available, but people still die of other things. Totally fair. Yeah. We're not talking about Game of Thrones today, though. We're talking about uh, listeners' questions who have written in, and these are fantastic questions. So, so fantastic that we had to do a part two of your episode. (laughs) And um, I know folks who listened to part one last week, you know, really are sure that you're such a fantastic listener and answerer, and I can attest to you being a fantastic doctor um, because I know you and know uh, your patients and the way you run your office. And so... Actually, I've been somewhat of your doctor sometimes. Well, you know, we do, yeah, advice. Mm -hmm. We have talked about on here how you you put in my first tampon. I like didn't understand. You were like, put your (laughs) leg up on the toilet. Let's do it. (laughs) I didn't scream at you. I was not screaming. No, no, not screaming, but you were like, put put your leg up on the toilet (laughs) and then you put the tampon in me. And that's, that was my first experience with tampons. Okay. Some people's vaginal canals are just angled very differently. And I was having a really hard time and I was really having a a tough Mm -hmm. situation. And I think that's totally cool that you were able to do that with me. Yeah. It's not unique to you, by the way. Like I do have parents do that that come into my office that, you know, they want to use a NuvaRing or they want to be able to put a tampon in. And for some reason they can't. And they're right. like almost shocked that I will say, come on in. I know I'm going to show you with a mirror, with your hands, with, you know, gloves yeah. and whatever mm-hmm. to how to put it in. And they're like, that's important. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think again, this kind of this idea that we're not taught about like our anatomy, we're not really taught about how to look for what's typical and atypical. Like that all goes into the same thing. I mean, there are a lot of video series out there right now. There's one in particular I love called Roe v. Bros, where this woman interviews men on the street and says, okay, like, can a woman pee with a tampon in? And so many of them are like, I don't think so. (sighs) And then at the end of the short video, she goes, are you registered to vote? And they all say yes. 
So it's this so idea. This is deciding our country. Exactly. This idea that <laughs> like, like where the so many, is. <laughs> right. And it's, and it's not just men, right? Like it's no. everybody. Like I have, like you said, you have teens who come in, they're looking to figure out how, how that happens. There was someone who commented on a, a TikTok of mine being like, I use tampons and I didn't know that you can pee with a tampon. And like, clearly mm. there's just a big lack of what, Yeah. What I find is that at the extremes, like teenagers and older women, have like no sense of their anatomy or what to do. But people in the middle, women yeah. who are kind of 30s, 40s, they kind of pass through a generation of like, we know how to do all this stuff, you know? I mean, but it's I'm the telling internet you, too, right? Old, yeah. But older women, like, because I, I have a very busy menopause practice and I've realized that I cannot prescribe a cream for someone and say, put it on your labia because they don't really know what I'm saying. Right. So I have to like get a mirror and you know, you should, you should get a picture, draw a picture, get a mirror, have them sit up and look down at it. Or, you know, if you do that, you're like a hundred times more likely to get the desired result right. because you really showed them what to do. You can't just say use to affected area. Who the freak knows what you're <laughs> talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That's so, f that's fair. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Let's get into these questions because I want to make sure we answer them or else all hell will break loose if we have to do a part three here. Um, we want to know about the pill. There are lots of questions about the pill here, but this first one is kind of a two-parter. Can the birth control pill cause excessive hair loss? And what are some other, or like maybe if that's not a side effect, what are some side effects of the pill? Pros and cons. Okay. Let's take a step back a minute and just talk about what do we mean when we say the pill. So it pretty much got that nickname, like the pill, as being an oral contraceptive pill. And mostly what we're talking about is what we call a combination pill. So most birth control pills are a combination of some type of an estrogen and some type of a progesterone, the combination. So the goal of a birth control pill is to suppress your ovaries from ovulating. So end result, no eggs come out, no targets to hit, no pregnancy. So that's basically the way the combined oral contraceptive works, the estrogen and progesterone pill. Knowing that there are about more than 100 probably different combinations in the pill, most estrogens in the pill are pretty similar. They're ethanyl estradiol and they're different doses. In the olden days, when the pill first came out, the people who really did the research on it and came to see that it could prevent ovulation were under the mistaken thought that you needed a very high dose of estrogen in your pill in order for it to be effective. So they would use something like 150 micrograms of estrogen. And when I talk about a comparison, the lowest dose on the market right now has 10 mics of an estrogen. So oh, wow. 150 gave a lot of side effects. People had headaches, people were nauseous, people were throwing up, but for them, it was better than being pregnant. <laughs> so they would Damn. use it. And then as time went on, lower and lower doses of estrogen in the pill developed. So it went from 150 to 100, then 50s. And when I was in training, 50 was pretty much the go-to. I still use it sometimes, but I only use it when a much lower dose doesn't work for what for controlling bleeding and something like that. So they went down to like 35, then 30, then 20, and 20 is considered a low dose pill, and then 10 is like the ultra low dose pill. And you know, they all have different effects and different side effect profiles. But what changes in each different combination birth control pill 
is the type of the progesterone that's used. And there are several different types of progesterone in different birth control pills. And it's the type of progesterone that's used that is responsible for things like hair loss that people might construe as being connected to the pill or an increased risk of water retention or something like that, or other things that people say, I took the pill, I got these side effects, therefore cause and effect, which it's not really always cause and effect. Like someone could happen to be taking the pill and look at all their family. They're all bald. <laughs> so they, they all have early hair loss. And this person, yes, is now also losing some hair. That may be a genetic thing. It just happened to be coincidentally at the same time they were using a birth control pill. So there's not a lot of cause and effect. But if there is what seems to be more hair loss on the pill, it's usually connected to the type of progesterone that's in the pill because some progesterones are what they call more androgenic, which means they're more kind of male type of a hormone. And that would be something like levonorgestrel. And now why would people want a more male type of a hormone in their pill? Well, what about people who have kind of low libido? They might want an androgenic progesterone mm. in, the, in their pill. But if someone is suffering from hair loss, they don't want an androgenic progesterone. Then it would because then it would make it worse. Exactly. So there are ways to figure this out. So if you really think it's connected, like I started taking the pill four weeks later, there goes my hair. You know, there is a natural amount of hair that gets lost in a cycle. Like there's a growth cycle, there's a loss cycle, there's a resting cycle that happens in everybody's hair. Some of it, it's genetically connected. Some of it might be connected to what you're taking and some of that might be hormones. Some of it might be lack of certain supplements. You know, if you have very low iron or if you have low zinc or magnesium or some obscure things that like a lot of people might not test for, you could lose hair because of that as well. Plus I had a, a recent person who came to my office and said, I started losing hair and I know it's the birth control pill. And then I said, well, when did it start happening? As soon as I took my hair extensions out and I, you know, hair extensions pull on the roots of your hair. Mm. So she took them out and then suddenly started losing hair. I said, Honestly, it could be your birth control pill, but the more likely thing is that the extension caused some damage when the roots, and when you pulled them out, it you know caused some pulling, et cetera, and you're going to go through this whole cycle of like hair loss until you get to the growth phase again and it starts growing again. So you could try a couple of different things. One, of course, the easiest thing, if you really want to see if there's some direct cause and effect, go off the pill for a little while. Use something non-hormonal for you know two cycles, two, two months of non-hormonal method. And if, you know, during that cycle- Like a condom, for example. Condom, Fexi, which is, you know, a, a barrier. Um, I have some, I have a bone to pick with Fexi. I'll talk about that in a minute and we can explain what that is as well. Okay. Should okay. I pick it now? Go ahead. I have, okay. So for people who don't know what Fexi is, it's a non-hormonal gel that is inserted through uh, the vagina with your hand. It's kind of like goes up like a tampon in a tube. You fill the tube and then you insert it up to an hour before penetrative penis vagina sex. And I was really excited about Fexi because I don't do well with hormones. As you know, I've tried many, many different forms of hormonal birth control and they were not the right fit for me. So I thought Fexi would do it. And the side effects I was receiving with Fexi was a lot of intense burning. And oh, I vaginal think- Vaginal burning? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that, and I read about it and that mm -hmm. is a, you know, not super common, but it mm -hmm. does happen to people for sure. It, it does have like lactic it has acid, acid in it. In it. Know, so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. acid in the sense that, you know, it's not supposed to necessarily burn. I don't think it, that happens for everybody or for mm -hmm. most people, but- mm -hmm. 
it was a shame that 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 was like the only mm-hmm. option that I felt like I was really excited about because it didn't have hormones mm-hmm. in it. And, you know, there is the copper IUD, but that like can cause a lot of heavy bleeding, heavy periods. And so I don't know, it's just, it's tough out there. So if mm-hmm. you've tried Fexi or if you've tried, you know, hormonal birth control that hasn't worked for you, know that, you know, those side effects mm-hmm. can be harmful and can be hard to deal with. Yeah. But getting back to like whether or not the pill is responsible for the hair loss, right. that would be easy enough to do either go off the pill entirely or ask your healthcare provider to switch you to a pill that is less androgenic in its progesterone. And maybe that would make a difference. I have definitely found by switching pills to one type of progesterone to another or higher or lower dose estrogen, I can very often take care of problems that people are complaining about. And now one of your next questions was, what are the other side effects Mm -hmm. from the pill? And you know, I've heard everything from headaches and migraines and nausea to breast tenderness, bloating, weight gain, you know, but if you, if you really read the studies where they do them double blindly, like give one group this birth control pill and another group a placebo, and then like look at their weight over time, most of the studies say, you know, there's maybe a three pound weight gain over years of being on a birth control pill. It's not really any direct correlation. Yeah. I mean, also, if someone's on a pill for a really long time and they started at 35 and they went off of it at 45, now at 45, it's a good bet you might not be as active, your metabolism might be a little slower, et cetera. So that all factors in. It's not like if you're on the pill, that weight is just going to come on. It just doesn't really happen. But I do hear from people now and again that they feel like ever since they went on it. But I also have just as many people that are on long-term contraceptive use. And you know, in the gynecology world, when people ask us like, so when should a person go off the pill? And for us, it's like when they want to have a baby (laughs) or when they just don't want to use it anymore. But it's not like there's some kind of arbitrary rule, like been on it for 7.5 years, you should go off and and help your body get, you know, there's nothing, you don't have to do any of that. Right. And in terms of the positive side effects, I know that a lot of people are on the pill because it helps their acne improve. Mm -hmm. Like I know that was a side effect for me when I was on it. So that for sure can help. I know also in my own experience, the pill has caused like vaginal dryness, which has caused Mm -hmm. like painful sex. And Mm -hmm. so that is, again, really dependent on like who you are and and your experiences with it. But what are some other like positive, obviously, other than the fact that it prevents unwanted pregnancy, what are some other positive side effects of the pill? Probably the biggest one is cycle control. You can Mm -hmm. do whatever you want with your cycle, including never have one. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, and people will say, well, isn't it bad not to have a period? It's bad if you're not creating it, (laughs) like to be that way. Like if you Mm -hmm. show up in my office and go, I haven't had a period for six months. Of course, I'm going to investigate and try to get to the bottom of it. But if it's because you're on a birth control pill, I'm not going to say, oh, Lord, (laughs) that's a terrible thing. It's more like, oh, okay, that is kind of what you want, right? Like you can go on vacation, you can get married, you can go do whatever without having to worry that you're working around your your period all the time. So that's the number one thing. The other thing is like, you know, as much as people do say there might be some mood alterations and things like that on the pill, the vast majority of people that I've taken care of feel much more stable mood-wise on the pill because then they don't have these big swings of like, during their period, they feel fine. And then right when they start to get to the point of ovulation, then they start to feel sad or depressed. And then they have a luteal phase, which is the phase between ovulation and the next period. Like 
they really get PMS or PMDD or they, they don't feel well. And then their period comes in and they're okay. So they're having like two weeks out of the month where they feel like shit yeah. and the rest of the time may be okay. I mean, even if they their partner has a vasectomy, I still might suggest a birth control pill to correct that. And that's really only one of the things that you can do to do that. There's a whole array of hormonal solutions out there for what sounds like a hormonal problem. But I really don't want to purport to say that if someone comes in depressed, I would put them on a birth control pill because that could be a whole other issue. That could be just straight depression and and they have nothing to do with their hormones. So you really, the key point here is really, you have to investigate what kind of side effects they're talking about. How likely is it to be from the pill? A lot of people, because I, I tend to tell patients that I want them to be able to manage things by themselves. I don't think they have to come see me like every week so I can fix their birth control problems. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell them there's a lot of things that you can do to kind of do your own little experiment when you're worried about something. You take something, you think it's causing a bad effect. Well, go off it for a little while, see how you feel, then go back on. That's like a very, you know, typical research tool. You right. know, if you go off something, you experiment. feel a certain way and then you go back on and you feel a certain way, then I can't say 100%, but it's likely related right. to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. those are really important things to do with that, not just say, ever since I've been on this, I feel crappy, then okay, either go off, substitute with something else, and let's talk about alternatives. Yeah, when I teach sex ed classes too, like I get a question from teens around like, how do you know like which method or like which birth control pill is best for me? And it is kind of tough because there's not, you know, a right answer. There, mm-hmm. There's no for sure. It's Very really individual. all about, yeah, it's really individual. It's really about experimentation and really like, again, like writing down your symptoms, writing down like your your feelings and your thoughts. Because I think like if you're someone who is only taking birth control to, you know, get your acne under control and you don't care about unwanted pregnancy, maybe you're not having sex yet, or maybe you don't have sex with people with penises or like whatever it is, then maybe that's not the right method for you. And like, maybe you need to take stock in like another method that might be helpful for you or a different prescription of medication if that's what you want. I I think it's really important to fully evaluate. Here's all the possibilities. Here's all the risks. Here's the benefits. And then go down the list. Yeah. You know, I think people should make a choice and, you know, take the responsibility for that with help from their healthcare provider and be able to say, okay, let's follow this up in four weeks and see if you're feeling any better. You know, you and I make a lot of lists. Let's make a list. Here's the things that you were worried about and come back. Let's look at the list. Is this happening? Is that happening? And then you know whether that's a good choice for them. Let me tell you about one of my favorite sex toy shops out there, Lion's Den. If you haven't heard about Lion's Den before, I can't wait to tell you all about them. Lion's Den first opened its retail facility in Columbus, Ohio in 1971. That's right, over 50 years ago. Since then, they have grown to more than 50 outlets throughout the U.S., building its reputation on high-quality products, low prices, and a knowledgeable sales staff. Their staff are also sexual wellness experts who can help you find the perfect toy. One of the many things I love about Lion's Den is that they advocate for a sex-positive perspective on intimacy and sexual well-being, and strive to break the stereotypes and stigma surrounding sex by providing comprehensive educational resources to empower everyone to enjoy life to the fullest. They're simply amazing. Lucky for you, Lion's Den is giving my listeners an exclusive discount of 15% off your purchase in-store and online with code SEXEDWITHDB at lionsden.com. What are you waiting for? 
Get your amazing Lion's Den toy now. Here are my top three favorite things I love about Uberlube. Number one, Uberlube makes sex feel a lot more pleasurable. It's as simple yet as powerful as that. Number two, Uberlube is recommended by leading doctors and its body-friendly ingredient list is widely used by people with sensitivities to lubricants. And number three, Uberlube will not stain clothing or bedding. Any spills can be easily cleaned with detergent and water. Get your bottle of Uberlube now with code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Let's talk about butt acne. Not what you expected me to say, huh? Well, we're here now, so let's get into it. I personally struggle with butt acne and it really brings down my self-confidence sometimes. One thing that has really helped me is the butt and body scrub by Future Method. Future Method is science-backed and doctor-led, so I know I can trust them. Their quick and gentle exfoliating booty scrub cleanser is great to use on your body and between your butt cheeks. Its doctor-approved ingredients are infused with a refreshing and invigorating hit of citrus, clove, and cedar to soften, smooth, and tone your skin. Get yours now at futuremethod.com and use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at checkout. Want to win your very own Magic Wand Mini? If so, keep on listening. Ooh, it's kind of fun to have your attention. Okay, but let's get into it. Magic Wand, aka the best-selling wand vibrator of all time, has partnered with SEXEDWITHDB to give some Magic Wands away to some lucky winners. How can you participate and enter to win? We want to hear your best magic wand story. Maybe something funny or silly comes to mind. Maybe the magic wand unlocked a world of pleasure for you like it did for me. Whatever it is, we want to hear your story. Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magic wand to learn more and see how you could win your very own magic wand mini. What do I love about my Freya? The incredible razor and clitoral vibrator in one discreet product? Let me count the ways. I love that when I'm already in the shower getting clean, it's super easy for me to grab my Freya and give myself some serious loving. I love that I don't need to get out of bed, clean my toy, and get out of the mood. As soon as the mood strikes, my Freya is right there to play with. And I love the smooth, clean shave it gives. Use code SEXEDWITHDB to get 20% off your Freya. And for a limited time, enter to buy one Freya, get one for your bestie for free. Enter to win at highfreya.com slash sexedwithdb now. While we're on the pill, we do have one more pill-specific question. So I'm wondering, because a follower wants to know, they've been on the pill for over 10 years now, and they want to know, what happens to your body after going off of the pill? Well, the great news, and it sounds kind of strange to say that this is the truth, the great news is that basically it will go back to whatever it was before you were on it. Now, again, it has something to do with age. If you went on it at 35 and off it at 45, And when you go off it, you go, oh, now my periods are so irregular. It doesn't mean, there's no long-term effect that the pill did something to later on cause your periods to be irregular. But you're 45 and most 45-year-olds don't have- irregular periods. Exactly. So one of the great things about the pill is as much as people talk about it and think it and think it must be true, there isn't a really a long-term effect once you go off of it. And to kind of prove that point, when people go off of it, because they think they're thinking about getting pregnant, I always tell them, if you don't want to be pregnant right away, you better use another method right away. Because Mm -hmm. if you stop the pill, you could ovulate that very next cycle. And I've often had people who would go off it and go, okay, now we're going to start to think about getting pregnant and come back pregnant in two months because they weren't really thinking (laughs) about it. They were just not using anything, thinking, oh, it's going to take a while to get my cycles back in shape. That is not true. 
Which is really wild too, because like getting pregnant, even though like one out of two pregnancies in the U.S. are unplanned, which is an absolutely wild fact, like it, it is not very easy to get pregnant. Like there are only a few days out of right. the month. The timing has to be right. Yeah, the timing has to be right. And for like, most people don't really know when they're ovulating, right? Like it really, we've talked Depends. about that. I mean, I mean, if you're trying, then maybe right. you're tracking it. But if right. you're not, then you're like, okay, I don't fucking know when I'm ovulating. Like, <laughs> a it, lot it can really of people, depend. a lot of people use these period trackers now. Right. And the thing is, it's so silly in a way because these fertility apps, they rely 100% on what you put into them. User data, so, yeah. Yeah, so you put all this stuff into them and it goes, okay, here's your fertile days. What does this app know about your fertile days? You're just telling it, oh, I feel this way and it's been 14 days since I had my period and I'm expecting another period in 14 days. You don't need a fucking app to tell you when you're ovulating, you know, but people put a lot of stock in. I like the apps right. for like when people come in and I go, tell me what your cycle's been like for the last three months. If they're not using an app, nobody knows except for their last cycle. Two months ago, they're like, oh, I don't know. Did I have a period? I don't know. Did I have three days of bleeding? Nobody knows. Yeah. But the apps give us the information. So that's what I like them for, but not to live your life by or your fertility by. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, this next question is maybe one by a teen, I assume, or maybe it's not. I really don't know. But if someone, you know, went to the doctor and their doctor, you know, doesn't trust the information that they're giving them, right? This question is like, why won't my doctors believe me when I tell them that I'm not sexually active? What can I say to make them believe me? And like, so much comes up for me in, yeah, for that I, I question. I think if you are at a doctor's office where it's in your head that how can you convince your doctor that you're telling the truth? I think you might be in the wrong office. Yeah, you like know? that. that is number one of like maybe get out of there and like get a different doctor because yeah, if you well, don't trust your doctor. I take care of a lot of teens. And I think the questions or the interview or the conversation has to be a little bit different because, you know, a lot of people ask the question of their patients, are you sexually active? That means so many different things to so many different people. Right. You know, I go back to the joke that kind of my, I guess my dad used to say, you know, you ask somebody, are you sexually active? No, I just lie there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, Wait, that's funny. Silly. But you know, that's why you really, you have to be so specific and a really good interviewer. Your questions really have to be something like, tell me about what your relationship is like. Who do you date? Who do you like? Who are you interested in? You know, yeah. you have to go from there. And then, so what kind of intimacy do you have? Do you want? Do you like? Do you, you know, it, yeah. it has to be more of a like, conversational, like, let's get to the point. Because I've absolutely had people tell me like, no, I'm not sexually active. And the, but they are doing certain things like maybe having oral right. sex or something like yes. that, that we should probably still have a conversation about because there are of risks course. and there are pleasures yes. and there are other things to talk about. So you really can't just blanket it with, you know, are you active? Because a lot of my patients will say, mm, not really, like sometimes, like, what does that even mean? How can yeah. you help them? I you think know, so I yeah, think you have that's to, a bad question. You're right. Yeah, like, you are, shouldn't are, are you question. sexually active? Mm -mm. Like, and it's also, I know that now, like in, in doctor's offices, they're like, are you homosexual? Are you lesbian? And you're like, you don't really know. Like it, I don't know. it's just, it's, it should really be like, do you have sex with P 
people with these body parts? Like, do you have this kind of sex? Like, That is going to take a long time for the older doctors to die out. (laughs) Well, yeah, but it's it's getting down to the point, right? It's like, are you having like mouth to genital contact? Are you having mouth to mouth contact? Are you having mouth to anal contact? Like there are all these different risks involved. And we were talking about like STI testing and all of those things. Like you really do need to know, like even with kissing, right? Like HSV1 can be, and HSV2 technically, if you have that in your your mouth, which isn't as common, but can happen. Hey, HPV is the most common, you know, oral growing cancer. Yeah. Oh, wow. I remember you telling me about that. I know at least four people who have had oral cancer from HPV. Wow. Some men, some women, you know, because if you transmit HPV into your throat and you just think, "Mm, I have a bad sore throat and I'm not going to go see anyone about it, you know. Which you very well could. Exactly. So, you know, and it's amazing how those are not the questions people are asking. Like, and you know, you don't have to drill people if they don't want to talk about it, but you should at least have a set of questions that are like, is this part of your sexual experience? And, you know, is that something that you enjoy? Is that something that you want to do more of, but are not? Let's, how how can we talk about that? You know, and in this day and age, who has more than 15 minutes? I mean, I do, but who has more <laughs> yeah, than 15 lot, minutes to have a, a whole people. conversation like that with some, right. some people? So, I mean, back to this question though, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay, number one, you should get a different doctor, <laughs> but that isn't feasible for some people. And even for myself, right? Like I just moved a cross country move and like finding a new doctor and like putting in that work and effort, like it takes a lot of energy and like, you might not click with someone on the first try and that might not feel good. So like, recognizing that there's a lot of work that goes into that. But so say you can't find a new doctor, right? Say you just want to make sure that you're advocating for yourself at the doctor. I mean, I feel like this is maybe hard for you to answer as a doctor because you're on the other side of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I guess as a patient though, you're also a patient, like you have your own issues and things that go on. What are like some tips that you would give to this person about how to advocate for themselves in the office? I mean, you easily could say to your healthcare provider, like, you know, the type of sexual activity that interests me or that, you know, that I would like to have as part of my life is this, or, you know, I am not in, there are people that are not interested at all or not, you know, and I, I do think that you have to be able to maybe start with the first person who interviews you because it's not usually the doctor who does the first the contact. Sure. So like an, a medical assistant or a nurse or somebody like that. I think at that point, if you want to be able to get the healthcare or the medical care that you came there for, I think it's really good to go in with your own list. You know, here we go with the lists again, but that these are the things that I really would like to know or Right. I would like answered or I would like some you know, material to read if that's the way that they're going to give you the information, whatever it is about, let's say two or three points, mm-hmm. you know, and if one of them is, you know, not having a sexual relationship, but wanting to have a different kind of relationship with somebody or right. none at all. I think you could make that known to the person who's interviewing you so that there's not this automatic assumption, because it is definitely true that when teens come into our office seeking birth control or wanting to talk about it, we always offer them STI testing because I guess it is assumed that if they want birth control, it's probably because they're sexually active. But that shouldn't be an assumption. Right. We should first ask the other questions about what type of activity, if any, et cetera. I had somebody come and tell me the other day, she told me she was active with a boyfriend. And I said, is it something that you would like to be, have some tests done for? And she goes, nope. And I said, okay, would you like to elaborate? Like, do you 
is it because you think you're not at risk? I mean, are you using a condom every single time? And she said, no, because they tested me at school. <laughs> so, you know, totally not having to do with what she's doing or, or what she wanted to convey, but she didn't really want to give me a whole elaborate answer. But why did she not want to be tested? Because I already got tested. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it's it just, it's tough because like, as a doctor, I imagine you want to recognize that there might be some shame and stigma mm-hmm. to people who are sexually active and are saying they're not. So you want to get them the care and the information that they need. That's the way that I approach it. Like, right. And you know, I really other... would like to help you right. leave here feeling like you got what you came here for. You're empowered, right? Exactly. Like, like, don't worry. Like, this isn't embarrassing. I got your back. Like, we can do whatever you need to do. You can be honest with me, whatever mm-hmm. you need to say. And in the same way, like this specific question of like, if someone genuinely isn't and maybe is never interested or just at the moment isn't, then it is the doctor or the medical provider's responsibility to say, okay, maybe, you know, if you do decide one day to do that, then here's some information or like, are you interested in, you know, getting more resources if you do become interested? And like, it's just their responsibility to believe their patient. And like, at the end of the day, they should feel like they're trusted. The way that I approach that, I mean, and again, we're talking a little bit about the extremes, like teenagers and older women. Like if we start talking about like their relationship and their intimacy in a sexual relationship, and if somebody says to me, no, I'm not doing that. My next question always is, is that okay within the relationship? Like, is that okay with you and okay with the partner? Because far be it for anybody to tell anyone else what they should be doing. Right. Only if it's causing them distress. If they Mm -hmm. came to see me because they're not sexually active and really want to be, but they can't because of pain or dryness or something, how can I help you to achieve what it is that you want? Because a lot of people, especially older women, will say, no, we are not having sex anymore because he doesn't seem interested or I'm not interested or we're too busy or something like that. And I go, is that okay with both of you? If they say yes, I'm not going to keep going and go, no, let me tell you why that's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I will tell them, okay, as long as you both are on the same page about that. But you know, people could be having their relationship destroyed over that when one person's interested and the other person's not. That happens a lot. So if it's something that they are seeking my help for, and I do have to kind of dig it out a little bit that that's what they really do want, then it is my responsibility to say, what do you see yourself as as the goal here, where do you right. want to be? Or I want to have pain-free intercourse, or I want to, I want to have spontaneous thought that I want to have sex with my husband. That's a tough wow. one. Yeah. I, that is one of the most common complaints I get other than I'm gaining weight. <laughs> yeah. But we, we recently talked about this on an episode that we recently did about spontaneous versus responsive desire. And like, right understanding that like, okay, there might be different ways for you to get in the mood, even if you're not immediately in the mood based on, you know, one like thing that you see or one thing that you think about, or just because it's the morning, like there are things for you, tools to really use. It's a circular path and you can enter it at any time. That's the theory that is supposed to be, you know, accepted now. It's not a, a linear Masters and Johnson, like, I'm excited. We have sex. I reach orgasm. Resolution. It's not that. And it has never really been that, but that was the theory for a long time. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. We have two more questions. I want to make sure we get to them. Let's talk some shit on pH balance wash. Um, I think this is a perfect opportunity. Someone wants to know, what are your thoughts on pH balance wash? I'll let you do the doctor thing and then we can talk some shit together. Okay. Well, one thing is that there's a lot of predatory 
advertising out there based on the idea that something is wrong with people's vaginas, right? That they're bad, they're dirty, they smell, you got to clean them, you got to wash them, you got to scrub them, something's wrong, nobody wants to smell you. That is so body shaming. And that is why there are hundreds, if not probably thousands of products out there with weird names that cupcake kitty <laughs> are you, that they're trying to sell you. That up. <laughs> there, there's probably something that's called probably. that or something yeah. similar, but they're trying to sell you on the idea that you need something to clean it up down there. And in general, if you're pretty healthy and you don't have a current infection or a problem, the vagina and this, you know, we say this all the time, it's like a self-cleaning oven. It should take care of itself. It has its own ecosystem, its own lactobacilli, which are the normal bacteria that grow in the vagina and keep the pH balanced on its own. Now, normally the vagina, a healthy vagina, because of those lactobacilli, should have an acidic pH, not acid like it's going to burn you, but low on the pH scale. And when the balance in the vagina is upset and the pH rises, which is, could be from semen that has a high pH, could be from blood it has a high pH, could be from products that people are using in the area that might give it a high pH. Wait, I have when, a question really quickly. If semen bothers people's pH, what do you do? Well, how long is it really there for? Usually it's there and it's washed out, right? So, right, so if, you, nothing... if people do have a problem with that, you know, if they have a problem that every time they have sex, yeah. it upsets the vaginal ecosystem and they end up getting a bacterial vaginitis infection or something, there are things that people can do to bring that pH back down. And it's not going out and buying these perfumed washes to cover up whatever it is. In fact, that might make it worse. Yes, exactly. And there are some very good products out there, mostly that will have something very simple in it, like hyaluronic acid, which is an acid that we as older women use on our wrinkles because it gives moisture to the area. Oh. So there are several, um, I'm not selling any products, but there are several products out there which basically that's all they are. It's a, either a cream or a gel or a suppository with hyaluronic acid. And sometimes if I have people that come back with chronic bacterial infections or chronic yeast infections, once you treat the infection, I have them use one of these hyaluronic acid products on a regular basis, like twice a week, or sometimes if it's really just after sex that they feel uncomfortable Right after sex, they could use the product as well and just put it in and that will bring the pH back down and it will keep them from getting that reinfection. But it's not that people on a regular basis have to do that to bring the pH down. If you're healthy and you have the right lactobacillus, you don't have to do anything. It's only that it, it's quite common for people to have the, these recurrent infections. And, and I do go over this about the pH. I sometimes check people's vaginal pH, et cetera. We do cultures to check for infection and we treat it. And if it seems to be recurrent, we treat it recurrently, but then we talk to them about what keeps the vaginal pH healthy. And you know, you can there are tests you can do to see if people have the right strains of lactobacillus in the vagina to see that, you know, well, you have no lactobacillus in your vagina. That's kind of why you're getting reinfected. So what mm. brings back lactobacillus, let's say for a menopausal woman? estrogen in the vagina because estrogen brings that pH down. Estrogen makes the vaginal tissue more healthy. It's the right cocktail so, for the vagina. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I don't believe in going out there and saying everybody needs a special wash for their vagina because it's dirty or something. 
but I do a fair amount of business in my practice with people who need a program, need something to do recurrently because they get recurrent infections. And I have to say, one of the things that I have noticed a lot, which I never used to believe and which we were taught as gynecologists is not a thing. I do find that women with IUDs with the string in the vagina, sometimes they are the ones who come back because there's something called a biofilm, like bacteria can create this barrier. And sometimes I guess it could create that or it could stick to the string of the IUD. Oh, interesting. And, uh, and you know, like I said, when we were in school or when we were in, like in residency or it, I was early being taught, they're like, nope, IUD has nothing to do with recurrent infections. That was the, the thought at the time. Wow. But I've seen it enough now. And there are some articles out now that say that string could be a nitis. And, you know, it's, it's a balance. Like, I love in my IUD because I don't have bleeding or I, I want a good contraceptive I don't have to think about, but I keep getting these recurrent vaginal infections. And, yeah. you know, sometimes we pull the IUD and it doesn't get any better. And sometimes we pull it and it does. So can I say it's cause and effect? Not really. But because I treat a large population of people with recurrent infections and I, I have kind of like a plan that I like them to go on. And most of the time it works, but they have to be vigilant about it. I mean, if it, sometimes it's just your own makeup that it, it happens that you keep getting these recurrent infections, and especially women who have a lot of irregular bleeding. I'm bleeding and spotting now and two weeks later, I'm bleeding and spotting. And that just kind of brings it on that that bacteria Mm. is going to start to multiply because you don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg. Is the pH too high so you get bacteria? Do you you have too much bacteria so the pH is too high? Yeah. But you know, it's not a thing that that in general, like you say, yeah, use shampoo in your hair, use pH balance wash for your vagina. No, you don't have to do that. Yeah. I was even going to say like, you know, people ask and it's like, okay, like for the vagina, like you don't even really need to like stick your fingers up there. Like if you're feeling like there's toilet paper, like you want to clean, you know, some like dry blood from your period. Like that's, you know, different if you're trying to specifically like clean that thing about that Mm -hmm. and if it's uncomfortable or whatever. But really it's just like water, water kind of like in the inner labia, outer labia, on the pubic mound. And if you're someone who like wants to use something soft like CeraVe or something with like no fragrance on the pubic mound, if you're feeling like that will make you feel better, mm-hmm. um, then that's the, what's right. recommended. Only that, some moisturizers, if you want to, and estrogen. Those are the things that make the environment better and less likely to have recurrent bacterial infections. Yeah. And it's such bullshit that like companies are allowed to advertise for and market. it market and straight market to teenagers it. and yeah. it's and it's actively harmful for yeah. them and like same kind of thing with scented tampons like all of these things that nobody needs that again it's we're just being told over and over again you're gross your body's disgusting it's smelly mm-hmm. you're not you're not yeah. how it's supposed to be mm-hmm. and um i think it's so important that everyone including young people especially like get this information early on so that they're able to make informed decisions about the way that they care for their bodies and they don't feel like there's anything wrong with them. Like a vagina smells like a vagina. Yeah. I see a lot of trauma associated with that. Like somebody had a partner when they were young who told them that and they really bought into it and feel terrible for like years. You know, it's, you need a lot of reprogramming to, to, and of course, a lot of it also comes from how 
parents interacted about that. Like, you know, let's not talk about that area because it's dirty. You yeah. Know? Or they don't say the words or yeah, it's just kind of, Sad. it makes it more shameful. Mom, we have one more question and then we're wow. going to talk about where people can learn more from you um, because you're my, I'll say it, favorite guest, God, out of all the guests. Um, you say that to all your guests. I definitely do not. Um, okay, someone wants to know, and I, I would love to chime in on this too because we we get a lot of questions like this, but I'll get your take first as always, which is someone says that they can't orgasm. They say, I feel like I pee instead. What are some reasons or causes of this? Which is kind of interesting. There could be a lot going on there. Yeah, I mean, the first part of it, I pretty much have a standard conversation that I have about this when, because I do ask people, are they satisfied with their sex life? And, you know, do they orgasm when they're intimate? And, you know, there's always the age old question that goes on about why can't I have an orgasm from vaginal penetration? Well, that's a whole other story because (laughs) most people people don't. (laughs) But after we have that conversation, if people have a complaint about the idea that they can't orgasm, you got to ask a couple of questions about that. Like one, could you ever, like, is this, has this been a lifelong problem? That's not going to be solved in a, in a 15 or 20 minute office visit. That's going to launch an investigation, which should have been launched way earlier if it's been a lifelong thing. Mm-hmm. What mostly is the complaint I hear is that it used to be okay and pretty easy and part of my usual intimacy, but now it's getting a lot more difficult. That is a very common complaint. And a lot of that has to do with aging and lack of estrogen to the vaginal area and the clitoral area and lack of, you know, blood flow and congestion and all that. So if that's all it is, like as you went into menopause and are not using any estrogen in that area, sometimes it's pretty easy fix to use something to bring more blood flow and that helps. But if somebody says, you know, I might've been able to in the past, but I just can't right now. And I cannot with this partner. I mean, no one can orgasm with a partner if they can't do it by themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's kind of, you're your own best teacher. Yes. And if you can figure out what it is that's pleasurable to you in the privacy of your own home, you know, then you have to be a guide for someone else to be able to get to that same place if that's what you want. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you got to get to the place where what is it about that experience that's not going well for that person? For sure. So, I mean, the idea about saying they feel like they pee instead, you know, that's a very common experience of the nerves and the the, the tissues are very interconnected there that, you know, in order be, to be, be able... I mean, yeah, it's like right, maybe there's a little In order to be able to orgasm, you have to do what's called the complete release. If you don't allow your body to go into like involuntary relaxation it's going to be really hard to orgasm. So that same relaxation could relax the bladder neck and cause, you know, you to leak or spontaneously urinate or something like that. But those those places are so intimately connected. The urethra is so close to the clitoral area that you could easily interpret it as either one. Yeah. Part of me also thought like, oh, is this person like squirting, which is like another thing that it's kind of like, People don't, scientists don't really know. They're like kind of, you know, they're like, there's a little pee and squirt. They're like, not everyone can squirt. It's very like uncommon for people to do that. Mm -hmm. It usually you squirt by like, you know, stimulating like a certain area of the G spot or, Mm -hmm. you know, so that, Mm -hmm. so that's maybe unlikely in this question. Mm -hmm. But another thing that I want to add too is like, 
this is a very stressful time that all of us are living in. Like our mental health and our stress absolutely impact the way in which we have intimacy with our partners, have hookups, like the way that we orgasm by ourselves and or with a partner. And like, I guess if you're someone, again, like you mentioned, like maybe you've never done it. And I think that's, you know, a a different story. But if you're someone who feels like you have orgasmed and just can't right now because of different factors, consider your stress level. Consider like how much you've been able to exercise. Consider how you've been eating. Consider like the way that you are interacting with your job. Like there are so many things that can be impacting and distracting us from being able to experience that kind of pleasure. And like if there is a particularly hard experience that you're having or stressful time, then maybe like it's time to not have like orgasm focused sex. And maybe you just want to have some pleasure without Mm -hmm. needing to focus on the end result. And that could be a powerful, pleasurable experience. And the more people tend to focus on why am I not, the more they cannot. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. The the more stressful it becomes, the more challenging Mm -hmm. it becomes. And yeah, I think like also have you used a vibrator Mm -hmm. listener? Like I think like people don't really realize how much easier orgasming can come. If you are someone who wants to use a vibrator or if you are someone with a penis, like using some, like a toy that makes it feel better or mm-hmm. using lube, like mm-hmm. there are all sorts of things that can help. You know, there or are techniques, techniques which I'm, I'm sure you know about, like, you know, to bring somebody almost to orgasm and then right. not Edging. do it. You know, those, yeah. Right. Th- those are things that like, maybe they don't know about that. And maybe it just takes a little bit of education or talking to someone mm-hmm. who can explain that to them with the proper amount of time and not in a rush right. to say, okay, here's your homework. Go exactly. <laughs> try that. You know? What fun homework. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This has been very fun. <laughs> Thank you for being here again. Where can our followers find you and what are you working on? What's next for you? I'm going to be working on helping you plan your wedding. Yes, you are. First, the engagement party. We'll have to figure that out. That's in the new year. We'll do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I work in a small private practice in Napa. I own my own practice. In the moment, kind of about to transition from being a kind of full scope OBGYN, where I've been a lot of office gynecology, but also delivering a lot of babies to someone who only does the office gynecology. So I'm kind of excited about that because next summer, as much as I love babies and as much as I love the excitement of delivering my thousandth or two thousandth baby, which I really do, getting good nights of sleep and you know spending more time with my family and doing more things in the office where I am taking care of more menopausal women and like people who need contraception care and all kinds of you know gynecologic problems is a really exciting prospect for me. So I'm doing that. You could find my website, which is premierobgynnapa.com. You'll see my face there and yes, people who work in my office and some other things. I do and a lot of talk, writing. Talk about your books, yeah. your two books I, that are out. I wrote two books, which I self-published. One is called Womb with a View, which is actually still, it was like two years ago maybe that I published that and it's still sells pretty well. I'm really excited about that. It's stories, it from, stories from my training and, you know, becoming an OBGYN and how I decided to do that and, you know, little vignettes about that. And the next book is called Motherhood, Medicine, and Me. And that actually tells the story of your birth, the story of your brother's births, you know, and intertwined with what was happening at that time, which is that I was in medical school, I was in residency, I was, I was becoming an attending physician. So stories that go up and back between 
obstetrics of my life and obstetrics of my profession. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of exciting. I am working on a new book that I cannot talk about right now, but Secret. I will in the future. Yeah. And that's exciting because that's kind of a big deal. And I write a lot of articles and things like that. I do get a lot of, um, you know, like offers to write things about menopause. Um, the big exciting thing right now is that I've been asked to do some lectures in the fall of 2023 where I'm going to be actually lecturing on a cruise to Alaska, which is really going to be fun. And to tell you the truth, cruises don't really, you know, float my boat right now because (laughs) everybody has COVID and all that. But, you know, I always wanted to go there and to go there and mix it with being able to, you know, talk to people about things that I talk to my patients every day about is is really quite, you know, exciting. Yeah. Uh, Well, I love you so much. It's such a a happy moment for me every season and this season twice um, to be able to have you on and to see like what you're doing and what's coming up for you. And dear listeners in the future, maybe me and my mom will do something together. We've been talking about it, whether that be (laughs) a book or a company or curriculum. Um, I think we'd be a great pair as we are. But, I mean, yeah. I am excited about the prospect, which I really like. I like this idea of people sending questions in mm-hmm. and answering them. Like, and if they can do that through you, you know, to do it through your podcast or yeah. through TikTok or something like that. I do a lot of answering of people's questions because there's a should, lot yeah. of misinformation out there and there's a lot of like people who just want to know stuff. And, yeah. and I like to, you know, give them that information. For sure. Yeah. And it's really important. I mean, now more than ever, ever, of course, like after Roe v. Wade has been overturned Mm -hmm. and a lot of egregious, you know, laws are being passed against women, like people who basically just want their own damn rights. Um, And it's really- To their own body. To their own freaking body. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really, it's terrible, but I'm really happy to be able to have you on and to be able to show you off to people and uh, say, this is my mom and I'm so proud to have her as my mom. Thank you. I'm so proud of you too. And I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Somebody in my office today was, you know, we have a sign up that has an advertisement for the podcast and mm-hmm. it was man who is the, um, the husband of one of my pregnant patients. And he was like looking at them going, what is this? <laughs> and I was like, you got to listen. <laughs> <laughs> Tune so, in now, like, and subscribe. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love you mom so much. Happy new year to everybody. A happy and safe and healthy year ahead. And yeah, you're, you're my heart. I love you. I love you too, honey. Our creator, host, and executive producer is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our co-producer is Brian Peoples. Our social media intern is Sarah Kelly. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. Want to advertise with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on IG at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. See you next time.